Hi, I'm Seth Roseman. I'm Jonathan Fuller. And welcome to No Experts Allowed, where we try to make the Bible less scary, more approachable, and a more consistent means of connecting with the divine. Each week, Seth and I alternate between two roles. The non-expert takes a look at a specific Bible story and prepares for a conversation about it centered around two questions. What's the story and what's the point? Meanwhile, the storyteller joins in the conversation, reacting to the story as they hear it. Because the so-called experts aren't the only ones who can make meaning and sense of the Bible as we read it together. So if you're new to or exploring Christian faith, if you've been to seminary like us, if you want to know more about the Bible but don't want to hear another sermon, or if you're anywhere in between, this podcast is for you. Join us and let's tell a good story today. Hey, Jonathan, how are you tonight? Seth, I'm doing pretty well. I never know what time to say. I know. This is a recurring theme. It's true, but it's night this time. And we're going to go with that. And it's a very special night, a historic night indeed, because we have the first ever guests on No Experts Allowed. Isn't that exciting? I'm really excited. I hope they're as excited as we are. I'm sure that they are not as excited as we are. I am confident in that fact. Do you want to introduce our guests? Should we have them introduce themselves? I think that's a great idea. Okay. Hello, my name is Abby. I am married to Jonathan, but I am also a social worker. So right now I work in the housing field, um, working on eviction prevention. And um, I do have some Christian education in my college years, uh, but in my current state, the Bible is very complicated. I have a complicated relationship with the Bible. So I'm excited for tonight. Excited to be here. I'm so excited. I'm excited too. Uh, my name is Patty and I'm Seth's wife. I'm also a middle school English teacher. Um, so I tend to take a very literary perspective um, or approach to the Bible. Um, and much like Abby, I would say my relationship with the Bible is complicated, uh, but I'm excited to talk with y'all today. We're so glad that you're here. Yes, and for so much more, because we know that we know that both of you have put up with countless conversations about topics like this with us during our seminary years and beyond. So true. You're probably also the most faithful listeners to our our work over the past several years, from our radio show to this podcast. I'm very appreciative, and I'm really grateful. But first, I have a question. Oh, yes. What would you do in this particular situation? Would you want to be a bank teller or... A mail carrier. Everyone's just thinking. It was such a good but simple question. So yeah, I know I see the bank teller as a simpler life, but I think I would go for the mail carrier because it's more exciting. And 
feel like I would get to talk to more people and pet their dogs and I think that I would just enjoy that more than um, than sitting in the bank. I feel like mail carriers have tenuous relationships with dogs. Like either the True. dog is so excited to see them or mm. it's like chasing them down the street. <laughs> <laughs> I think I would go with the bank teller because I don't really like extreme weather situations. And to me, extreme is like anything less than 50 degrees. So I don't (laughs) think that I would be very happy in the winter as a mail carrier. The whole post office motto just really doesn't work for you. It's like, (laughs) what's the motto? Like, what's the through rain or snow or sleet, like through all the, those are like all the things that usually disqualify you from outdoor activities. (laughs) Nope. (laughs) Not for me. I think my, I'm leaning towards bank teller as well, but for a slightly different reason, I'm excited to make someone's day like the bank teller in the episode of Parks and Rec that we just watched mm. who gave Andy Dwyer a thousand dollars in one dollar bills just to see how excited he would be so that feels like a fun thing you and I also it's like common at the bank I guess not <laughs> <laughs> my fear of being a bank teller is almost that situation like having to count all of the money no. accurately I feel like I could not do that but I think I could reasonably get it to people's houses, their mail. So for that reason, I think I'd be the mail carrier. Because like, even if you put their package next door, like it, it's probably going to get to them. There's a little bit of leeway <laughs> I mean, as a mail carrier, but I feel like there's not any leeway when you're the bank teller. Well, in our neighborhood, all the houses look the same, so they mess it up all the time. But yeah. you just bring it to your neighbor. And we, Many of the people who lived here before us that we still are getting, like, not just their, like, <laughs> junk mail, but, like, medical statements and documents from the government are getting mailed here. Yeah. After like, a year. Yeah, it's been more than a year. Like, don't you want information from, like, your health insurance provider? <laughs> mm. That was a good question. And I really hope that it has something very explicit to do with the passage tonight. Does it? I think I think it does. It's related. Okay. <laughs> Can I read it for us? Yeah. All right. This is Jeremiah 15, beginning in verse 10. I said, Oh, mother, how I regret that you ever gave birth to me. I'm always starting arguments and quarrels with the people of this land. I've not lent money to anyone, and I've not borrowed from anyone. Yet all these people are treating me with contempt. The Lord said, Jerusalem, I will surely send you away for your own good. I will surely bring the enemy upon you in a time of trouble and distress. Can you people who are like iron and bronze break that iron fist from the north? I will give away your wealth and your treasures as plunder. I will give it away free of charge for the sins you have committed throughout your land. I will make you serve your enemies in a land that you know nothing about. For my anger is like a fire that will burn against you. Oof. (laughs) All right, Seth, why did you go with the New English Translation for this week? I went with the New English Translation because I wanted one that we hadn't used before. But also one thing that I appreciate about the Net Bible, or the NET, is that it it has something like 61,000 footnotes throughout the entire thing. 
And there are three different types. One's called a translation note, so it just tells you why they rendered something the way it does. Another's a text critical note, and it's just, it'll tell you about kind of one manuscript that has one reading and one has another reading and why they, they chose the manuscript that they did. And then they also have what they call sense notes, which are almost like just little explanations. It'll say something like, we think this passage means da 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 So I think the translation itself is relatively simple, but I think the wonderful part about it is it also comes with all these notes, and it's also available free online. I don't think it actually has a book form. I think it's only accessible via the internet. The net. With the net, exactly. <laughs> I didn't think about that. It's the first thing I thought of. Oh. <laughs> okay. You really missed an opportunity there, Seth. I did. I'm glad Patty picked it, picked up what you left there. <laughs> did anybody notice something that they thought was interesting or confusing? I think my reaction, first reaction to this, without really understanding the context of it kind of highlights the like complicated relationship that I have with the Bible a little bit because I think like I over the years as my theology has developed I've come to think of God as a loving God and a just God and then it's passages like this where it seems like God is inflicting great hardship on people that I really struggle making sense with um and there's the one line that says, I surely send you away for your own good. Like that reminds me of like when something bad happens and somebody well-meaning is like, well, everything happens for a reason. And it just seems like a way to kind of dismiss your pain or your hardship. And I just really struggle with that idea of God inflicting or allowing these terrible things to happen and then claiming that it's for your own good. I just struggle with that idea a lot. With that, I think that's one of the hardest things for me too about just like the structure of this passage. It's like the first part is about how Jeremiah regrets that his mom gave birth to him. And then God responds in the second part and like doesn't address any of that. Just like moves on, like brushes it under the rug. It's like, I'm, I can't believe that I was ever born. And God's like, okay, I'm going to send you away for your own good. I'm like, wait a minute. I feel like there should be something in between here. Like just the structure of it is really fascinating to me. That's true. I think that it feels like God's quick to dismiss the anxiety that Jeremiah's feeling. Um, and kind of just giving some tough love in the situation instead. Yeah, I, I definitely picked up on the, it feels like these two parts are talking past each other. I also thought it was really interesting how Jeremiah is like one point to justify how unfairly he's being traded is how he has not lent money to anyone or borrowed from anyone. 
He's like, I haven't even done that. And they're still treating me so badly. And it just feels... I, I, honestly, with the back to the speaking past each other, it almost feels like Jeremiah's kind of off in his own little world right here. And God's got some bigger things to talk about in this in the second part of this passage. But because you mentioned them, Seth, I did look at a couple of the footnotes here on the, the version I'm looking at. And the notes next to I said at the very beginning. And then where God starts talking and it's to Jerusalem, the fact that those two are both additions is really interesting to try to clarify who's speaking and about what and to whom they're speaking. And yet that is still kind of an interpretive choice too. Like that that makes the, the text really seem clear to us to be saying certain things when in actuality it may have been saying something different, but they chose to add those addresses to try to clarify what they understood to be going on there. So did you have anything come up with with that or any other pieces that we were talking about as you looked into this? Your point about about the the explanatory like little introductory notes I said and the Lord said, that's really common across almost every version that I looked at. Some of them make the distinction a little bit differently. Like they just put Jeremiah's words in like a paragraph and then they put the Lord's words back into into what looks like poetry. But I think all of them make the same distinction that in the first part, that's definitely Jeremiah talking. And then in the latter part, that seems to be what the Lord's saying. So it does seem like there's a lot of agreement about that. But I think it's an interesting point that sometimes even the best Bible scholars can be wrong about this stuff. I think one thing that's fascinating to me, and Jonathan brought this up, that Jeremiah says, I haven't lent anyone money. And then later, God says, I will give away your wealth and your treasures as plunder. I wondered if that was starting to get at, like, what's some of the problems that are happening in Israel right now? But I think I read it at first, like, like that was like a throwaway line. Like, I haven't lent anybody money. But that's related, I think, to what God's talking about later. So I don't know if I really found anything about that in the commentaries that I looked at. But I think that it comes up again seems important to me. Well, I think it's interesting, too, that this version's choice of free of charge, because it kind of goes back to that language in the first part about lending money and then comes back and says um, I'll give away your wealth and treasures I'll give away I'll give it away free of charge I thought that was like kind of like being a bank teller like doling out money <laughs> and then the second part when Jeremiah's the Lord's messenger it's kind of like being a mail carrier nice respect that's how that was related in my head it's definitely more related than fighting a shark in the water with a handgun like from a few episodes ago okay that one was unrelated but usually there's there's a string that connects them that's true i also think it's funny in this passage how jeremiah says i'm always starting arguments and quarrels with the people of this land and then like two lines later he's like 
why are all these people treating me with contempt? <laughs> I'm sure being like, I start all the arguments. But it, it does just kind of, I don't know, it feels real. Like, I, I can appreciate just, like, a passage that we can all relate to of just, like, let me give you all of my complaints. But I think the other thing that stands out to me, too, and this just connects to some, some of the things I'm aware of about Jeremiah, but how the exile is really evident here in what God is saying, both in sending Jerusalem away for its own good, uh, and then in the last verse, in verse 14, I will make you serve your enemies in a land that you know nothing about. Those, are, those feel like pretty clear references to the exile, but connecting it to what we were talking about with the references to money in both sections of this passage, there, I'm wondering if there's some cause and effect kind of idea that comes through here, that maybe it's something related to how Israel, how Jerusalem has used its resources, has um, the sins that it's committed throughout its land from verse 13, like are those are those directly connected to why, at least in Israel's mind and memory, God sent them into exile? I think you're hitting it exactly right, Jonathan. I think that this short section of Jeremiah and what precedes it immediately is about the way that Israel has kind of constructed an economic system that disadvantages the widows and the orphans and the aliens economically I, I sometimes just refer to them as the woe was as, as the shorthand but I think you're right that part of Jeremiah's kind of complaint is like hey I haven't defrauded the woe was and God's like okay but everybody else is like you're part of this system that is and you're speaking against it but you're complicit in it at the same time one thing I'll add about this passage in verse 12. Can you people who are like iron and bronze break that iron fist from the north? Yeah, what the heck? Tell me about what this means because I have no idea. No, nobody has any idea what this means. <laughs> All of the commentaries that I looked at were basically like, we don't know. Even the Hebrew is really difficult. The and bronze, it's really difficult to tell what that's connected with. So they were like, we don't even know what to do with that. There's like some kind of idea that that in what's now modern day Turkey, they were really good iron workers. But that's not where Babylon is. So that's not who would have really invaded them. So it's so that line is just really confusing to us. And it's also really confusing to every scholar that I looked at. So we're in good company there, I think. I was going to say, that's really encouraging, again, as you mentioned before, that the stuff that just stands out to us is super weird or really hard to understand. We're not alone in that. <laughs> and hopefully hopefully that kind of understanding helps us feel a little more comfortable saying things like, that doesn't make any sense, and then trying to figure it out, and then finding out it doesn't make sense to most people who read this. So because we're all trying to make sense and meaning of this, Seth, what do you think the point of this is i've just been thinking about the way that the widows and the orphans and the aliens are marginalized are pushed to the edges of society i just wondered if we can if we can come up with some concrete ways that we've seen that happen 
uh, either like through our jobs or our own lived experience or something that we've read. Just thinking about the ways that people are marginalized and how they get pushed to those margins. So um, I think I see it in the way, so thinking about families or individuals who are evicted and become homeless, that is a population who is just pushed further and further and further out of society. And a lot in a lot of ways, we have, as a society, chosen to criminalize homelessness. So, um, so a person who's homeless is already very vulnerable, of course, and then if they are sleeping or sitting in certain places, then that's illegal and they'll be either, you know, kicked out and just pushed further and further away from safety nets or, you know, people that they might know, any support networks, they're just pushed further and further out at best or also they can be arrested for being homeless. For somebody experiencing homelessness who's trying to become rehoused they might not have a place to take a shower they might not have a home address they might not have a phone and all of those things make it extremely difficult to find a job or to obtain any source of income or benefits and so being able to recover from that as a society we've kind of set up these systems to just dismiss dismiss people experiencing that I know that as a teacher, that makes me think of my special education students um, and how many of them are um, students from um, you know, low-income families and students who are um, minorities and how the system almost looks down on special education students from the time that they're placed in these programs in elementary school um, and that they're not given the same opportunities as the general education students uh, by teachers and uh, school administration and that translates later in life to the job opportunities and um, you know even statistics on will these students graduate from high school um, they're much less likely to go to college, and um, I just think that that's somewhere that I see this playing out as a teacher um, in those types of students. As I, I'm thinking about just revisiting this passage in light of this conversation. It almost feels like Jeremiah's complaint is similar to a refrain we hear pretty commonly right now from a lot of white people of like, you know, I, I'm not the one who's actually doing this. I, as a teacher, I'm not discriminating actively against my students. You know, as I'm working, I, I you know, I'm working to help house people, uh, working to help educate people. Whatever it is that we're doing, we don't. And I say we, speaking broadly, about white folks, we don't identify with or accept responsibility for these systems that are in place, uh, that are designed intentionally or not to exclude some and then continue to move them farther and farther from the center of these of these systems 
remove from them the opportunity to be successful and have a, like find a living in, in these systems. And again, in this passage, that feels like the claim that Jeremiah is making and God is talking about. It's not about your individual actions. Look at all the things. Look at all the things that are going on around you that you're a part of and are benefiting from. Yeah, I feel like every week I listen to your podcast and I a common theme that I think I often hear from you is like, oh, through this discussion, we really came to think of this in a different way. But just through this conversation of thinking of like my first reaction was like of a God who was like inflicting harm on people and now sort of talking through it and looking at it more in its context. Like I, I am seeing much more like this passage um, is talking about the justice of God and how like the people of Israel were inflicting pain and setting up systems of oppression and this was God responding to that. Along with that, one thing that I find myself doing in our podcast is I start thinking about me and then like somewhere it like switches and we're thinking about people groups and systems and the way that individuals fit into them. I feel like we've done that in this passage too. I was like, oh, Jeremiah's just complaining about himself. He wishes that he's never been born. And now it's like, oh, but there's like this bigger issue. So I feel like I keep doing this. You'd think I'd learn at some point. I'd like stop just defaulting to this like absolute individualism. But it shows how hard it is to get out of that kind of hermeneutical framework. It's like so deeply rooted in how I read the Bible. It's like fascinating to me. And I think sometimes that's why we immediately sympathize with Jeremiah, I think in this passage, because we almost put ourselves in that place and we can connect to complaining in a similar way. Um, I know that that was kind of my first reaction was poor Jeremiah. But you know, as we read further, we understand God's response. And now I'm like, poor Jeremiah, and also poor people who've already been oppressed and marginalized. Right. Like, being the being God's messenger and mail carrier is like a pretty good gig in the grand scheme of this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow, this has been excellent. This has been so fun. How is it peeking behind the curtain to understand uh, what what we do in this nonsensical recording process. It was pretty fun. I don't know if I'm going to be able to listen to this one, though. <laughs> I agree. I hate hearing my voice. Yeah. Uh, Me well. too. But we, <laughs> I think I speak for Abby, too, in that we appreciate the work that you've been doing with this podcast and think that it has reached a lot of people already and being on it allows us to see the process and the work that goes into it so we appreciate that that was a good plug maybe other people will be on the podcast now with that (laughs) that was good i didn't tell her to say that that was all i have the script right here that was all on her own yeah patty the check's in the mail it's (laughs) Oh, wow. This was great. I think the only thing that's left for us to do is to pray. Seth, will you pray? I'd love to. 
loving God, you care about the poor and oppressed, the marginalized, the paradigmatic widows, orphans, and aliens. Deconstruct the systems we've created that perpetuate homelessness and the educational systems that present students with fewer opportunities and help us create systems that prioritize people through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. This was so much fun. This was so fun. Abby, Patty, thank you for uh, joining us as non-experts and storytellers this week. Your insight was really valuable to our conversation. Well, thanks for having us. It, it was an honor to be the first guest on No Experts Allowed. <laughs> Agreed. To our listeners, thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe and tune in for our next episode. Jonathan, what story are we telling next week? Next week, we're going to look at Exodus chapter 11, verses 1 through 10. But until then, leave us a review and find us on Twitter and Instagram to continue the conversation. Thanks for walking us through that story, Seth. Thanks for helping me tell.